on. Awesome. Thank you for coming to do this. Oh, thank you for inviting me. For our uh, inaugural podcast. I feel honoured. Is that the right word, inaugural? Yeah, that's, yeah I think so. <laughs> so what have you been up to today? Um, I've been working for another client. They run a number of trade magazines um, in Crawley, Creepy Crawley. Um, but it's good, it's good fun, it's good fun. I've been helping them digitise all their content and arranging all the contracts and bits and pieces and uh but it sounds a bit boring but they they own lots of really cool franchise like world's 50 best bars and oh, world right. steak things so it's quite cool last christmas i got quite a few kind of like bits of um sake loads of bottles of sake <laughs> nice <laughs> award-winning sake and uh yeah there's lots of nice little freebies that's so quite good everything i do is kind of like drink games used to work in the motor industry before and so it's all kind of boys toys things you're, so. you're into music and art as well aren't you so yeah um does yeah. that do you work in that at all or is it just hobbies yeah i get i get dragged into it um i think one of the reasons why this is quite a kind of discreet little story but one of the reasons why i think i actually got into law was because ages ago um my family or well, some of my family got got dragged into um becoming a um, a manager of quite a f famous reggae artist, and they lost quite a lot of money. And, oh, I, yeah. and I realised how important it was for creative people to learn about their rights. So I think that was something that kind of always kind of like affected me as a kid. How, how old were you then? All I remember was handing out flyers with my dad at Reggae Sunsplash in the in the eighties. So I was like, uh, yeah, probably about I don't know, twelve, ten, something like that, maybe. Wow. Yeah. So was, yeah, that's quite funny. You remember thinking that. Yeah. So did you know what you wanted to do, you know, from an early age? I think when I first started, I was really into taking apart um, electronic bits and pieces and put them back together again, like radiograms and old amps. And I, I muck around with amps now because I'm a bass player in the band as well. And um, so I used to always do that. So I think I would have, if left my own devices, I think I would have become an electronic engineer. And mm -hmm. then, and the funny thing is that when, like, Computers came along, Commodore 64, BBC and stuff. I was really into it. So I actually did do a bit of programming when I was a kid and then I kind of got bullied away from it. And now I'm surrounded by all these successful young people who've got great studios. I think my, my dad stole away this alternative uh, path. So I found another way to kind of help games industry by being one of the people on the kind of so-called boring side of things like rights and revenue streams and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. What was your how did you what was your first job in the games industry then? My first job in the games industry was with um PlayStation okay. and as as a lawyer but the focus of it was actually helping them with their anti-piracy um kind of program and it just shows you how things have moved so I was kind of there to help what was that PS One or PS Two? Yeah, yeah, it was PS1. like I think PS Two was being launched, so it was like okay. PS One, PS Two, and it was about you know kind of gold discs and you know chipping of PlayStations and you know working with rights organisations and the police and other um, publishers to kind of train like customs officers and people like that to spot um, fake uh, kind of um, uh, CD ROMs and also to sometimes take part in uh, prosecutions. Like I've given evidence in the Crown Court, it's really scary. Really? Um, yeah, because most of the time I, I was trained actually to be a barrister, that's my training. Oh, but right. it's easier when it's you doing the cross-examination, but when you're being cross-examined by a more senior 
clever barrister in, in Birmingham Crown Court, I think it was. It's quite, quite, quite interesting. So, so I started off doing that and it was, it was quite fun because I got to travel around to all these other places that my boss didn't want to go to, like the Middle East where they used to weigh pirate games by weight instead of by number of titles. Yeah. And, you know, actually, it was a good thing you were trying to protect the revenue streams of, of, um, of, you, know, of you know, developers and, and publishers. So that was quite cool. That, that got me into working with the salespeople, seeing how people sell games in different countries, mm. what works. I, I think I learned a lot very quickly about selling games in India, Middle East, Eastern Europe, uh, and uh, that was quite good. And then I got into... Um, working with the studios um, at, at PlayStation, working on a ton of different games, um, helping them with licensing the content, working with um, uh, working with uh, musicians and composers, uh, working with. Um, well, whilst you were at PlayStation, yeah, I okay. mean, I had some really good experiences. We worked with Andy Circus, for example, mm. um, when he was doing uh, some of the uh, direction on Heavenly Sword. It's a great game. Um, and, uh, you know, a few other people, a few other actors, a few other um, sportsmen doing a lot of licensing work. So there was, there was enough work for me to get on with and to do a bit of a crash course on how games are made, which is really, really interesting. And I think that's how I, I really got to meet quite a lot of different developers um, who started off in big studios and a lot of them went off and formed other studios and publishers. And that's how I think I kind of got to know quite a few people in the industry. And so how many years was that? Is that just one stint, one long stint? It was a long time ago. It was in the noughties, so I think I started in, God, to give my wage, in 2000. And I stayed there for nine years. It was a really fun time. Um, really? You started yeah. in 2000? That's, yeah. so that, that still feels recent to me. Yeah, it, it is recent in some ways. And there's other people who are, you know, kind of, they've been in the games industry for 10 years by then. But yeah, for me, it was completely different. I'd, 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 I'd gone from being qualified at the bar, um, being a kind of barrister, you know, just doing lots of different bits and pieces, just a trainee barrister, mm. and moved into the, into the motor industry, uh, working for a trade organisation. And I literally saw an ad in the newspaper for a lawyer for PlayStation. Wow. I thought, yeah, I'll give that a go. <laughs> it wasn't something that was on my radar. Amazing. Um, and it was just such a fluke, and it was such a fun time right. to be in the, in the games industry. The noughties, you know, people making money hand over glove and you know and it was a bit more egalitarian in terms of different size of publishers you know you could you could make a triple well a game or a game that was fighting in that arena it seems for a lot less money than you are now and there's only a less than a handful of publishers who are really doing that mm. um and there were a lot of parties you know and the average age of playstation in europe was like 28 and uh which at the time i thought was old and uh and a lot of people had a lot of fun and there's a lot of money rolling around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but there was a lot of fun rolling around. And there was a lot of there was a lot of ideas, and it seemed that anything could happen. And it was very egalitarian, and you could people could come in with, you know, not huge bundles of money, and then make an impact. It seemed mm. in the games industry, and a lot of those people are still there, and a lot of those people are, are like you know, still very much friends of mine. And and you're you're seeing them going from the first company, second company, third company, going from doing PC games or PlayStation 2 games and now they're kind of like in esports and stuff like that so it's kind of interesting seeing where where everyone's has got to and it was it was a great start it was a really good way to meet a lot of different different people and I think that's kind of how we met as well yeah what was it lured you to take two then um I really liked being at PlayStation it was great education great people um 
I was really interested, though, towards the end of um, the noughties, um, you saw, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, iPhone came out, you saw the App Store, you know, uh, you saw the democratisation of, of development and publishing. You hadn't, didn't have to go to somebody who could, uh, um, you know, talk to a retailer or HMV or Tesco's and mm. have a warehouse somewhere. Um, you could do all that yourself. Obviously, there's a whole thing about discovery. So there were lots of people who were moving from development roles into setting up their own studios. Right. And, and, um, and I was just kind of interested in kind of more the content size. I was doing a lot of that at PlayStation, but I was a little bit concerned that I was only doing it on the PlayStation platforms. I mean, they were all great platforms, but I was really interested in being exposed to an environment where I was working with kind of PC products and uh, non-console and seeing what's going on with, with mobile. And um, yeah, and I just thought nine years was a really good, good time to be with one company. And I thought, let's, you know, see what's out there. I, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't desperately searching, and um, but I, I got offered a role which was amazing with an amazing company, Take Two, who've got, I think, well, arguably one of the best kind of like ranges of con software in the games industry, um, and so yeah, so I went there and I, I learned a lot. Very different culture mm. from I was before. Amazing um, IP to work with, just just phenomenal. And um, yeah, just again, really challenging, really good, really good time. So what was it that, because we met um, in 2012, wasn't it? When we did that little conference? Yeah, no, we did. yeah, but I think we'd kind of met, I think I'd come across you in work that you'd done with PlayStation before. Really? Yeah, oh, so we'd, we'd met over email? I th yeah, I think you'd done some, was it Flash stuff? Yeah, but not, yeah, but not know. with Sony or anything. Maybe, maybe not. No. Uh, but I was aware of you for some reason. Um, oh, hang on. Uh, when we did our ARG. Yeah. Um, so you were doing, were you doing XDev contracts? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so we, um, yeah, so the, 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 the game that Future Lab was set up to make, which we've yet to make, <laughs> um, we pitched that in 2007. Right. And uh, XDev, people there, Phil Gaskell and um, John Rostron, right. were really impressed by the pitch, but they were like, no, we're not going to give you four million pounds to make a game when you've, all you've done is like flash games. Um, but they did sign us up to make an ARG for Heavy Rain. Right. And so you might have been involved in that yeah. contract. Yeah, I did the first Heavy Rain contract. Yes, right, so, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, 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 I think it was... But then we didn't actually meet until no. we did... We'd put on a conference, a mini conference called, God, what was it called? I can't remember now. Yeah, uh, Ga theater. Games Gone Global. Yes. And it was all about, because BlackRock, the Disney studio, had, had broken up and had created lots of Black Pebbles, yes. lots of little companies. And um, it just seemed like really fertile ground where all these different companies were creating great products mm. and they were all going, being sold globally. Yes. So suddenly Brighton was a real hotbed yeah. of you know, interesting stuff. And so we thought, let's put on a conference, which actually I, I started a website called Made in Brighton. Yes. Um, to promote Brighton, Brighton, made, Brighton made games. Yeah. And um, the guys at Player Research were like, this is this should be a conference. So, yep. so we did that. And I did a horrendous talk. And then we met in the bar afterwards. Yeah. And I remember, th I remember you saying, 
I used to work at PlayStation working on ex-dev contracts yeah. and that was just music to my ears. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, and now you're indie? Now you're sort of going on your own mm. and able to work with small studios. Yep. That was a huge value uh, proposition for us. Um, so yeah, and then we've used you ever since. Yeah, no, you were one of my first clients. So um, just explain to everyone. So I worked for Sony, worked for Take Two, and then as I said before, there were all these indie devs who are like, Albert, you've got this kind of like, uh, kind of contracts, can you have a look at it? And I said, well, I'm kind of working for someone else. And um, then the volume of these kind of requests came quite a lot. And I thought, you know what? This now smells like a really good time <laughs> to maybe just do this like full time. So I went for it. Martial Media, you've got to have a bit of illustration. And, uh, and it started in, I think it was, yeah, June, 1st of June, 2012, was the day wow. the company yeah. started. So the conference was... Yeah, so the conference was more or less the first <laughs> thing that I'd gone to. Amazing. Yeah, and I think you were one of my uh, first contacts. I was introduced to you by somebody from another Brighting studio. Um, and um, yeah, we just got on straight away. You know, my experience was very relevant to what you were doing. And I love the stuff that you were doing. I loved your really singular vision. And you've had a real, you've got a real kind of feel about what you do. We do these type of games and they feel like this, they look like this. They've got these kind of like real kind of things that we always aim for. And mm. it's just been, I've always been very proud to be able to go, yep, these, go, these are my guys. You know? Oh, thank so, you. So yeah, so it was- Likewise. Yeah, so it was, it was good. And it's, it's been great. You've introduced me to tons of people and you know where i've been able to help not just on the kind of contractual stuff but just on the connections or say well if you want to even if it's a kind of like a technical problem or technical challenge i can say well actually yeah i'm i work one of my clients is a networking they do lots of kind of like a network kind of work you can work with them or i know some artists i try and do that with all my clients try and kind of join the dots or even if it's you need somebody who is a composer or films or whatever I, I try and do it with all my clients. So, um, you know, I think the whole games industry is about people kind of helping each other a, a bit more. I do, I'm lucky I do work across slightly different industries as well. I do a little bit of film stuff, sometimes and music stuff, but I'm very careful because I'm not expert on the music rights, which can be very complicated. But um, yeah, the, those industries is are that, is that just Does that extra sort of work in different industries just come as a result of people saying, I know a guy? Yeah. And it's just like that. You don't you don't go after that. No, just, right. and you know what? It's a really good filter because I'm I'm really fussy with my clients, and I'm very lucky to be in that position. But you know, I, you know, I don't want to kind of do loads of SEO and just have loads of random people because mm. um, I've had this before where you get you get big law firms saying, "Ah, oh, but yeah, I've got this client for you. Do you want to kind of like work with them?" And they're like, "Why don't you want to work with them?" And I find out because they're absolutely kind of bonkers <laughs> and, uh, and they're like yeah George Lucas stole my idea oh okay <laughs> I don't do disputes I'm definitely not in the business of uh, uh, George Lucas so um, so yes yeah, so I, I like the word of mouth thing and it's always a, a great affirmation because you know everyone gets imposter syndrome mm. and it's really good when you know I can just say well actually I've actually been doing this now for like seven years and nearly every single client has come to me because another client liked me and you can build on it and build on it and build on it. And um, I'm actually getting to the stage now, the last, the big theme for me for the last 18 months uh, is, is clients being bought 
by losing clients because they've been bought by bigger companies and really? so so then they said oh we're using their lawyers now and uh, so like, okay fair enough but you know that's good it's kind of like having a child you kind of you know they turn 18 and they can walk out the door or whatever they get a job and they you know they only kind of talk about you at parties to slag you off or you know come back when they're hungry so you know, that's good some of my my developers have gone off and into the wild um i don't think anyone's been bought by Tencent yet, um, must be on the few, but that's going to happen sooner or later because they seem to be buying all the industry. But um, but yeah, so it's it's uh, it's it's good to, to be in that position. I've been very lucky um, with the people that I've worked with, and you know as long as it's fun and I'm learning stuff, um, I'm going to continue to do it. And so you started a company as well, like a dev company, right? Yeah. So. Um, so uh, Marshall Media, it was a lot of fun, um, loved it. And I was learning a lot more about um, the, the business of, you know, the problems that my clients, you know, encounter day to day, you know, marketing, the challenges of what discovery, negotiating with uh, the platforms. And um, one of my uh, clients uh, had a, an idea about a game which I kind of was quite excited about. And I'm always thinking about commercial angles with, with, with games and they, their idea was about a quiz game on mobile. And at PlayStation and Take Two a bit, I got involved a lot with licensing and working with brands. Right. And I said, you know, the big, the big challenge for a lot of um, any developer is to be discovered. And there's different ways of doing that. You have a PC and console. You, you can do that a lot by, you know, you've got a lot of more traditional kind of publishers out there who can go through the channels and really help you. Um, uh, mobile a bit is a bit more Wild West, um, you know, relying on uh, getting features and stuff like that. But I, I thought there could be another way of working with uh, partners by saying, look, you're a, you're a brand. And most of the time when you're working in merchandising or anything, you're you're licensing the visual audio or the, you know the elements of your brand but what you could also do is that you could maybe work with somebody who's doing a quiz game because then you're you're monetizing the stories you're monetizing the data you're monetizing um the narratives and the characters in a different way and you're doing it in a more interactive way and people love quizzes people love you know being challenged and a great way to start a conversation online is to ask a question so that's how we framed a kind of a bit of a business plan whereby we would work with brands um, they would give us their their content and their visuals and their um, and their uh, audiences and we would turn that into something that was incredibly engaging um, and be able to extend their audience through that. That was a spiel that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> that was a spiel. That, and it went a that couple of times. Yeah, I, I kind of, I mean, I managed to, to get two quite big um, brands to jump on board about paying them massive advances. So uh, it kind of worked for a while and, and we did manage to build up quite a lot. But you know, the funny thing is that, you know, in the world of mobile at the time, 700,000 downloads, which is a failure. And, uh, yeah. and which is kind of really strange because sometimes you, you know, you see other people talking about games and they're talking about the numbers and you're going, well, you know, okay, we weren't charging them $40 uh, a pop or anything, but it's still, we still got, you know, 700,000 people to, to engage. But it was, it was really good for me to go back to original question two we I, I got in there early initially to help them with you know putting together a business plan um working with some of the content uh raising money we got some vc funding 
not enough. That was a, that was something that I learnt, and. Um, and from there, we, we, you know, we managed to build out quite a few different versions of the game across different things like sports, um, wildlife, managed to get a wildlife license, amazing picks, um, and managed to talk to people in that whole world of mobile and talk to, you know, Apple and get a few features and with Android and, you know, talking to, um, you know, um, people on Amazon Prime, they've got a, they had a, a little games um, uh, kind of like platform there as well um, and so that was really that was really good kind of having experience for not just being a lawyer but actually getting your hands dirty so when you talk to clients or potential clients you can say well yeah I remember the problems of talking to the platform holder and if you want to talk to somebody um, an Apple maybe you could give him a call and so that was I think that's gonna be a massive advantage as, as a lawyer yeah. um, and even doing crazy things like you know getting my sister who works in film to help me do a um, an advert, a trailer, and so we, we kind of got our equipment, didn't get a license, and kids, you should get a license when you do filming in the street. <laughs> and we went to Carnaby Street and we, inter we interviewed people and asked them questions about football, because we were doing a football quiz, and um, yeah, we got them to do some crazy stuff in Carnaby Street and uh, video them really quickly and then just run off. Um, and just, and, and I was, at the time I was thinking, yeah, but you're supposed to be a lawyer, why are you hanging about in Carnaby Street approaching people? But that's the kind of crazy thing that you kind of do when you make games, and I see my clients do crazy things and, you know, guerrilla marketing and, you know, doing music and like, as you do and, and stuff like that. And, and it's just, it's just the fun of, being in the games industry, because that's what I remember being in the games industry is like, that you know, you could, people could throw a really crazy marketing plan, get it through their marketing director, you know, get it through finance, have to talk to legal, and I'd say, mm -hmm. you really want me to, <laughs> to approve this? And um, anything that I've done, I think has been outdone by marketing people at Sony and Dorte too, um, like the Duke Nukem, marketing campaign which I, I can't I, I couldn't <laughs> even yeah I, I think I can go there but but yeah but yeah so it's uh, it's it's good to be part of that and I think it's infectious I think it's infectious so part of the reason I'm I've started this podcast is we're, we're 16 years in now and um, I've noticed that my job satisfaction has changed over time I've gone from really really caring about crafting a game and being you know, thumbs and all pies across mm. the whole thing. Because I, I graduated fine art, which made me completely unemployable. Um, so I taught myself flash programming mm. and set up Future Lab pretty much by accident, doing um, sort of corporate websites for high street clients like um, estate agents, things like that. Um, so I had to learn things like graphic design, um, HTML, hand coding, right. JavaScript, you know, um, typography. Uh, bit of video editing, basically everything. Yeah. And I've also been sort of a bedroom music producer. So I've got a broad sort of understanding of every discipline apart from art really, but I, I did fine art. So I should, <laughs> you know, at least I understand the principles even yeah. though I can't draw. Um, so yeah, the first few games we made, I was all over it mm. and I took great pride in being all over it. And as time has gone on and our studio has grown, I've, I've, I've got more job satisfaction from providing interesting projects for the rest of our staff mm. to enjoy and but it it's a challenge it's yes. it you know running a business is tough um especially in the games industry and 
But for some reason, we're still around 16 years later. And I, you know, as I said, Future Lab started by accident. I never wanted to start a business. And, mm. and I always told myself, you know, we're, we're doing this, but it's just a stepping stone. Because one day I'll, I'll go and work for a proper games company. <laughs> you know, I'll just, I'm getting away with it for now. Um, and yeah, it will just be a stepping stone. But, you know, uh, we seem to be doing okay. And we're, yeah, we're 16 years in. And, um, but I had a, a bit of a crisis where I didn't, I'd sort of lost touch of, of the creative impulse mm. towards the end of last year. And it had a quite a tough um, period with one of our partners. And it just made me think what, you know, mm. is it worth all of this stress? Because yeah. it is very stressful. Yeah. And so I thought, I need to, I need to talk to other people. Yeah. Um, other business owners, because it, you know, they say it gets lonely at the top. Fortunately, I've got Kirsty. We've got yeah. each other. Um, but yeah, I, th I, th I thought, you know, if I can get to talk to other business owners, long form, yeah, um, a deep chat, you know, the kind of chat that you would have on a Sunday afternoon over beers, mm. you know, in, in a basically the kind of chat that we have at Develop. Yeah, you know, yeah. when you're wearing crazy bright orange sunglasses or whatever it was. <laughs> yes, got <Good> noticed. <laughs> Um, I thought, yeah, let's do that. And that, and that would be valuable for other people to listen to probably. Yeah. I, th I think that's, I think that's a good thing to do. And I think a lot of business owners do that naturally. A lot of the times when you go to, to events, you end up kind of doing that ish, but it's quite good to have, this is a great creative format where you're sharing it and doing it in that, that kind of way. I mean, all I can say is for myself, I think I've had that before where you're kind of, am I doing this, am I doing it properly? Is it, you know, am I finding something that's value? Um, can I shake it up a bit? I mean, I've been really lucky that I've, you know, that I've been able to, because I'm doing it from a bit more of a kind of like, kind of, a kind of more, let's say maybe boring start. So you're starting off doing, looking at contracts. Right. Um, and then you kind of helping people with more of the kind of business side. And then you're saying, actually, I know quite a lot about kind of marketing or all the basis of what, how you should at least start the things that you should be trying to achieve. I'm not saying that I'm doing it perfectly, but I, at least I know what a marketing plan looks like now. Right. And the actual, the actual bread and butter of doing it as an indie mobile developer. Um, so I've been able to talk a bit about that. And then I've been able to meet people who say, actually, Albert, I've got nothing to do with games but you seem to be a tech kind of guy i'm doing a, a music festival uh, and conference in bilbao and i'd love to do um, a technology game stream could you get four speakers and organize stuff and organize a few events on the side and we'll help you with all the logistics and we'll do all the logistics for you but get the people and maybe help me with with right how that that stream's gonna look and i ended up doing that and that was great and it just gives you the kind of belief as well and you meet other people and seeing their challenges so I think that's that's a way. It's a bit like music that like you're laying down the beat. I know you're a musical person, mm. and then you can kind of riff off it and do lots of different things. And I think the one thing that I've, because I've had a kind of thought about it as well, about what you're doing and what's important in this industry, in this type of industry. And I think collaboration is the answer. When you look at lots of different studios, there are a lot of studios who have, are changing at the moment being bought and the main theme that comes about is it's all about collaboration that 
they meet someone or they meet a publisher or they meet another partner or they do a game that means that they're suddenly working with people who work within narratives, creative narratives within film or creative narratives within music. And that just takes them into a different you know, direction. You look at Andy Serkis, for example, mm. as an actor, and then he was doing a lot more stuff to do with motion capture and stuff like that. And he set up a whole kind of studio that specialised in that. And that's sent him in a different direction. And maybe he should be the next person you get into. But, um, but you know, I, th I kind of think that it's about collaboration. And I think you can get a lot of variety and richness and also share the load with collaboration. I think it's a thing that happens a lot with um, with game designers and developers and I deal with a lot of them and I've had this conversation a lot of times with, because a lot of the time when I'm dealing with them it's because they're trying to do their job and they're trying to negotiate a contract with a really heavy partner so you're suddenly talking to maybe a big publisher or you know a platform uh, holder and suddenly you've got to deal with you know negotiating the commercials you've got to start thinking about because they're suddenly talking to you about having rights on the next, you know, the, the the kind of like sequels and actually what about platform exclusivity? And then you're looking at, oh my God, I've got to think about what I'm doing in the next five years. And they're saying, oh, uh, also, if you sell your company, we want to have a first option. I'm going, oh my God, I hadn't even yeah. thought about that. And then suddenly there's all these stresses and- It's, it's a wonder anything gets made, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. The amount of yeah, overhead that you have to yeah. deal with. Yeah. yeah, so, and I always warn people that they should factor that into any deals that they do, that how flexible do you want a relationship? you know um and you know how, how much support do you want and you might be dealing with a big i, I call them billion pound babies that they, they can move your your creativity and content and games a great distance but you they're, they're really heavy people to work with and you're gonna have to deal with a lot of people and also when you're popular work really quickly with them because their attention when they, their attention goes and there's something else or they've bought a new studio or there's you know somebody in Japan for a company signs a successful game, suddenly you might not be the baby. But going back to what you, you said, I think that the pressure that people have when they're trying to deal with the different parts of the business, the creative side and the business side, yeah. means that they often have these moments where they're thinking, how can I deal with this? And I always say, what's well, about collaboration? Two, are you delegating enough? Um, We're just so... Yeah. Last year we hired our first producer and um, we took him on in a six month contract, mm. unsure that we definitely needed the role. Yeah. We were like, like the f second day, we were, how could we have lived that's, this long? That's crazy. Without a producer. I never yeah. knew that you never had another no. production. Just Kirsty just, had, yeah. just we shared duties, yeah. which meant that we couldn't do any of the biz dev properly. Yeah. yeah. And we couldn't do any oversight properly because we were just still hands on production. And yeah. So now we've hired our second producer. <laughs> <laughs> Great. No, and things are moving a lot smoother. I mean, don't feel bad because I work for big companies and not the two that I've mentioned, but um, I've got to say that. But, and I just thought, I mean, I'm lucky my partner, she's so talented, she's a sculptor. And, but also she, her first job was being a project manager for a tech company that did really well and everything. But she was a project manager and she's done all the print stuff and knows about Scrum and stuff. And sometimes when, I, unfortunately, I'd go back, I'd go back home and vent because a project, in my view, hadn't been managed properly and they're trying to solve it with legals, which is always a bad sign. <laughs> it's too late. Um, uh, I also go, oh God, you know, this is terrible. And she, she goes, oh, did they do this? Nope, did they do that? Yeah, and, and 
you realise that a lot of the time people in games want to get stuff done, but sometimes, well, all creators want to get stuff done. And sometimes there's also an art to planning it, of which I know very little. I'm just talking about the oversight of it. But I know that people that seem to be more happy are people who've got these things in place and, and yeah. have got a team of people that they collaborate with in different ways. Speaking about collaboration, we've, I've just had one of the m most thrilling times in, in my career working with a couple of a writer and an, and an artist okay. making a comic yeah I saw that so yeah and it sort tell of, me more well we've got a new game we're working on that we're pitching at GDC oh. and in order to aid the pitch we're making a comic um, to flesh out the world yes because uh, we never did we've never done that right you know even Velocity just grew out of I mean Velocity 1 grew out of Coconut Dodge yeah we, we finished Coconut Dodge had some code base I love Coconut Dodge it's a good game. <laughs> well, you'd be annoyed if I said that in some ways it's my favourite game of yours. It's the best-selling Future Lab game. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So you're not alone. Yeah. I, I really want to make a sequel to Coconut Bridge. Vindicated. <laughs> yeah, but you know we yeah. fell into velocity because we had this code base. Something moves left and right, and mm. coconuts fall down. Okay. So we we change the thing that moves left and right into a spaceship that moves left and right. And instead of coconuts falling down, we had flying upwards into a space space station yeah um and so we invented a story quickly around it and then it did well and so we did a sequel and we're all already locked on that path yeah but we've never actually sat down and go right let's build a world by the way never pitch velocity again to publishers <laughs> like with a it's just going coconut game <laughs> i can just imagine the boardroom was like some big american publisher we're buying coconuts for five mil, you know, <laughs> or whatever, or 50 mil, whatever. Maybe that's but, been our problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a key rubbish American accent. But yeah, I was just thinking, oh no, carry on. So, but yeah, so you... you yeah, so, yeah, so, and I think I've, I've realised that as a studio, we sort of lack that bigger worldview writing creativity, mm. you know, world building. Right. And... We met a writer through one of our members of staff who'd worked with him on a previous project, and we were halfway through Peaky Blinders, and we needed we needed to rewrite on Peaky Blinders because Andermol were um, they'd previously approved something yeah. uh, that we'd sent to them, and then they changed their mind because they'd seen the new season of Peaky Blinders, and they were like, "These ideas that we approved of three months ago, we've got to change them okay. because we've seen you know the script." So we suddenly had to do a rewrite and. Um, and, and we'd already been through quite a few revisions with our existing writer and I just thought she's going to get burnt out mm. she's not going to be able to see the wood for the tree so we got a new guy in okay. and and he blew my mind with his creativity his vision his world building ability and, I, and we just hit it off straight away I met a develop um, hit it off showed him all of our projects showed him the game that we launched Future Lab for mm. and yeah, we just had shorthand really quick, you know, within about five minutes, we were at finishing each other's sentences. And so I showed him the new game that we're, the new prototype they were working on. And I, I've realized that my strength is in mechanics, really? you know, the moment to moment, what does it feel like? And how do you build on it? Yeah. But I, I, I'm not a writer. Um, and so we started working with him to, to develop this world. And he's really big into comics. Right. And I, and I've walked into, so Dave's Comics in Brighton, I've walked in there maybe a thousand times, walked in and gone, I love it in here. There's something about this place 
that just oozes fun yeah. and interesting stuff. But I don't know where to start, so I then just do a 180 and walk back out again empty-handed. And I've done that so many times. Um, and so I thought, I need to, need to get back into this. Um, because we decided to make a comic, basically. Mm. Um, and working with him as the writer and finding an artist to do the storyboarding has been such an alien process yeah. compared to games. It's this guy, Simon, Simon Meek, he's had to carry me through the process um, because I didn't understand it and we needed to have it ready for GDC. Yeah. I'm panicking that stuff's not coming together quickly enough. Yes. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the way it happens. Um, yeah, so he would write the script and I, I, my, my imagination of what someone does when they write a script for a comic is they, line by line, write out what happens. Yes. That's not what happens, apparently. He wrote a couple of really loose pages about what should be in each double page spread. Right. And then it was up to the artist to storyboard it and figure out how to tell that story. Okay. Which, yeah. in hindsight, makes total sense. Um, so then we'd get the art through, just black and white, and art looks amazing. And I'm like, well, I can't read this. There's mm. no story here. He's like, just wait until the lettering appears. I'm like, well... How, what do you mean wait until the letterer does their work? You know, because the letterer, three, three stages, right? There's the artist, yeah. there's the colorist, and the letterer. Right. And the writer, sorry. Yeah. Um, and they all have their particular roles, and they're all pretty much equal in their contribution, which I never really understood. Um, and so I, I'd be saying to Simon, you know, I, I love the art, uh, and I love the way this is going, the story, but I can't read these cells one to another and I, I just got bogged down mm. um, and then the letterer did their, did their thing and it's all just coming out really nicely oh nice um, and yeah but just that fact that you've got four people mm. uh, and me just tagging along who can produce a tangible artefact that is really engaging and and also comics you just have to buy comics you yeah. can't download comics and so the thing with you know, streaming digital media, video games or, or movies, is the f is the downloaded streamed version is exact the exact same medium yeah. that you would have with buying the physical retail product. Mm. You know, it's a box that you open up, take a disc out, put it in your machine, and you interact with it digitally. Whereas with a comic, it's a physical piece of paper, right? Yeah. And that feels very different to reading it on a tablet yeah. um, or downloading it as a PDF. And so people are still buying comics. Yeah. It's like one of the last bastions of, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I just, I just loved that process. And it just reinvigorated this creativity that I sort of, it kind of gone off boil. What's the main, um, the main emotional difference, do you think, in creating with that process and creating, say, in the games process? Can you bring the microphone a bit closer? Oh, yeah, sorry. You, you can just do this to it. Yeah, so what, what do you think is the main difference kind of emotionally between kind of that creative process, say you've got for a chunk of doing a bit of a comic, and if there's a comparable kind of like chunk of creating... It's a good question. Speed, I suppose. Because mm. um, the, emotional, the emotional sort of heart is there. You know, you, you're inspired to create something cool and interesting. Yeah. But the speed at which... And I, I just said that I was moaning about the speed of it coming together, but it's vastly more, you know, um, pacey than making a video game. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so I, I guess it just reminded me of the early days of Future Lab with, with just three of us making Coconut Dodge and Velocity. Mm. Um, and I think we've got to try and find a way as a studio to um, do work that keeps the lights on yep. and, and then silo projects. So incubate projects yep. so that we get to keep that small spirit alive. And that's happening now with this game. Because um, like three or four people that are just coming on and off it as needed. And it's super exciting. Because uh, I think it's important to to have that. And uh, it's funny because I was, there's a, you know, there was a thing between c games and comics and, you know, people having that, that, that kind of uh, relationship between the two. It makes me think of um, Rebellion, who yeah. kind of like uh, got 2000 AD, got the obviously very successful game studio. And now have even gone into, um, you know, TV and, and film. So is that the next, That's be really next, interesting, is that going to be your next move? Are you going to be the, well, the next Rebellion? I've got a call with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> You'd like to say that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not going to come with it. It might not come with anything, but um, yeah. I reached out to Mention them. it. Yeah. yeah, talk about jousting. Are you are you going to get into jousting as well? Because uh, I think that Jason. Oh, that we're into yeah, jousting. Yeah, he's, oh, he's got he's, a, he's, into, he's got horses and he's 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 got a whole suit of armor and stuff. Really? Yeah. So he's got this massive kind of um, kind of axe, which I think he just keeps keeps in this uh, office to intimidate people at negotiations. But don't I'm not met Jason. I met Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, they're both they're both fun people. But um, but yeah, no, that I've, that sounds. I mean. That sounds really good with the whole kind of comic thing and, and the, the new game. So can you say any more about the new game? Or mm, you it's got the same steps? DNA as Velocity. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's, a, it's a return to form after doing the slightly scenic route doing VR, mm. um, which was great. You know, those, those VR games allowed us to grow our team and yeah. move from 2D into 3D. Um, but I think when people see this new game, They'll think, oh, this is this feels like back in legit future lab territory. So, are we going to hear more about that at GDC? Well, I think so. In the past, we've been very secretive about anything we're doing until we get a signature. Yeah, and then we talk about it. Yeah, probably That's good. Well, is it good or is it fear of failure? <laughs> it's there are certain there are certain potential partners um, I know who really like the, to be able to trust people um, on the, the whole kind of uh, secrecy thing. But then again, I think you build your trust in terms of that. Yeah. And, and I think also if you're doing, if you've got a strategy which is kind of clear, so you may be teasing that really early or having it out there really early, um, then I think that's fine and I know it's part of that. So I've got another client who did some crazy big deals at the end of last year and they, they put stuff out there and they had stuff out there, but they did it in a way which was very planned and right. to also to build the buzz. It's a whole thing now about maybe the music industry and people say, well, you know, they're expecting you to have like 200,000 people looking at your video before, before they talk to you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, there, there are different approaches. And I think as long as you've got a strategy about what you're doing and why you're doing it, I think that's fine. I think, yeah, this time I think we're going to put the comic out mm. and see what people say about that, about yeah. the world building. And it's, it's not long, yeah. it's six pages. <laughs> so it's a pamphlet really, it's not really a comic. Yeah, it's a, it's a but, um, but it looks great in it and uh, it's got some good ideas in there. Uh, yeah, and, and I think this time we'd be happy to show the prototype right. um, when we're a bit further along. But you know, we've never shown Velocity Supernova. 
Yeah. And we, this is this sort of blew up on Twitter a bit when I talked about the fact that we couldn't get it signed, yeah. um, despite you know a couple of million downloads of Velocity Two X. Um, and for the first time, we've actually got a marketing department now. Right. Uh, we've hired a full-time marketing exec and a mentor for her, um, who's ex-Rocksteady, did the Batman stuff, and he's amazing. And so he's come in and said, you know, actually his first report after the first week, so he does two days a week mm. and uh, mentors her and then sets her the tasks for the week and does a report on the Tuesday. And after the first email, Kirsty was like, God, this is what we've been doing wrong, you know, because <laughs> it, it, yeah. it really is one leg of the tripod yeah. marketing yeah. and we haven't had that. So now we're looking at everything yeah. to do with our business and, um, and how we position ourselves as a studio. And we, we've ditched the indie moniker. Yeah. We're no longer calling ourselves an indie studio. We're a boutique studio. That's good. Because we're mature. You know, we've got health and safety policy and a, <laughs> a fire escape plan and, you know, good. and a team of 20 and mm. really nice premises and, and the track record. So, so we're, we're going to GDC presenting ourselves as, as a boutique studio, making boutique games. Yeah. And he's been helping us shape that. And it's really exciting. So yeah, I feel like I've got my excitement back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I want to talk to other people that are going through similar processes who, um, or just got lessons to share. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there um, who have been through, they're similar. So it's worth, uh, worth doing. What else have we got here? So, and I'll, I'll cut this if it doesn't flow. <laughs> Um, do you take advice? I do take advice. I listen. Maybe I don't ask for it enough. And I think, so there are two parts of it. So I, th I, th I do feel that I need to maybe ask for it more. And there was a time when I was actively looking for a mentor, but I do lots of different things. Um, and I kind of, do it. I think I target people kind of in an unofficial way. And there's a certain type, I, as a lawyer and the part of me that I help people business deals, I look at things transactionally. Yeah. So what I always try to do is I always try to give somebody something, even when I'm asking them for something. And I'll give you an example of this. I know someone who's very senior, like ran like massive, probably the biggest kind of games company in the noughties and to get I know that he loves looking at deals and um, and solving them it's like giving them a puzzle so when I ask for his advice I, you, you do it in a way where you say there's this challenge that I've got um, I want to I thought maybe doing it this way but it's really interesting because of X, Y, and Z. Have you come across a situation before? And do you have any ideas about it? Mm. Um, and I knew that I was giving him something. I wasn't just saying, oh, there's this and this life sucks because there's this, this. I was giving him a puzzle, which I knew that he would quite like. Cause huh. there, there, there was, yeah. And, and he kind of said, yeah, I'll, I'll 
yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, interesting. And then he said, yeah, let me get back to you. And then he got back to me next day. And he'd obviously thought about it overnight. Yeah. And he had all sorts of crazy ideas. And he was like, yeah, I had, when I was working for this company, we had this situation and I just got all this gold right. back from him. And, and I think you've always got to do that. You've always got to think, what can I offer them? Mm. Or, and, um, and so, and I've passed that advice on to my clients that, you know, when they, they want somebody um, to help them, think about where that person is. Now, you know, I mean, even if they're a billionaire and they're really, you know, there's always something that they like, or there's always something that they like to get their head around or turns them on in the way, um, challenges that they like. So. So kind of try to find a way of, of, of giving them that. So that's what I try to do. If I want help from somebody, yeah. I try to package it in that way. Sometimes it's a bit easy. Sometimes it's a bit like, I'm a lawyer. So so people, they might just say, they just want to throw something part, past me and something, it might be quite sensitive. It might be nothing to do with the games industry. So, that, so that's when you're looking for advice, right? But just, yeah. to, if anyone comes out of the blue and just swoops in and gives you a tip. Yeah. Do you take it seriously or do you sort of? It depends. I'm a bit rude sometimes because um, I always say, you know, there's always, you know, you always, I always get like poor people give me financial advice. People <laughs> who've never had successful relationships <laughs> give me relationship advice. People who, you know, don't have kids telling me how to bring up mine. Yeah. You know, like, it's like me. I'm really humble with people who've got pets because my, my parents were kind of very traditionally kind of African middle class and never really had that many pets. I never, I never had any, even though I wanted someone's kids. So, you know, someone's got animal. I'm a bit like, yeah, maybe you should feed it or something. But I'm never really in there giving them loads of advice. So I'm really, I'm kind of very kind of so I'm yeah I'm a bit cautious with like some bloke in the pub yet saying oh yeah you should do like this mate but I think it's I think it's amazing when people do volunteer that I think they're giving you something really precious you know why because I get paid for advice I get mm. paid for advice yeah. and so and so and so um you know I, I I value and that was one of the first lessons that I had of my business is that there are loads of people who just want to get free advice and who will, you know, people come up to you in the pub, you know, I mean, I was, I'll tell you a story, a side story, but, um, so I was going out with a uh, previous girlfriend years and years ago, and uh, we went to a big birthday party with one of her friends, and halfway through, her, her partner, who got very drunk, told me that, in fact, they weren't having a happy relationship, they were really sad. Uh, he was really sad, and he wanted to get out of it, and if they got divorced, um, you know, what would, you know, what would the situation be? And I said, look, mate, I am going to your partners uh, through my, my, I'm going to my, my, my partner's, one of her best mates, birthday party. I am not going to advise that woman's um, partner about how to split up and how to screw her over after said split up. And um, so you kind of do realise that people always want to get that kind of free advice. Now, I'll try and be, you know, be responsive, but you've got to, the thing that you're good at, you've got to value. So if you're an artist, you know, you'll have people always asking you, can you do this for free? Can you do that yeah. for free? And I always say to my clients, do not do anything for free, you know, and even if it's like a big company, don't do it for free. You know, they're big companies, let them pay for it. Um, I guess I'm just interested yeah. in trying to understand a bit more about who I am yeah. and why we've been able to, I mean, it's not just me, it's Kirsty as well, but why we've been able to stay in business for so long. Yeah. 
when a lot of companies, particularly in the last few years, have just gone kaput. And and I, I wonder if it's a, it's a combination of being able to seek out advice and actually listen when people give you advice just out of the blue, or whether that's just me. I, th I um, think, yeah, I think you're very approachable. I mean, I've, I've worked with you now for... Since 2012. Yeah, so. since 12, so eight yeah, years. Yeah. So I think, and I, I hear what people say about you, and I think one, it's the quality of your work. <laughs> whether, whether it works or not commercially or whatever, most times it has done, I think there's a quality in, and, you, and you articulate. One thing that I'm really impressed by you is that you really articulate your values in t and in terms of what your production values are. And you know, you could say, right, this is what I'm about. I'm about the game mechanics and it does this, this, and this. And you're really good at that. And I think part of that training was because before you got into games, you were helping clients with a bit of marketing yeah, and, true. and stuff. And I, I think that is really, really important. And I think that's a common thing that I see with my clients that do well. They articulate who they are, you know, very clearly. And, and I think it makes it very easy for people to have conversations with you and to know what you're about. Mm, and good it, to know. And it's a good filter because right. you know what? You might have people who, if you weren't so articulate, would take up your time and maybe have a lot of money or this or that, but not a good fit. But yeah. because you articulate, it's self-filtering. Mm. And it's like me saying- Interesting. I only, yeah, it's like me saying I only do word of mouth because, and that self-filters. Yeah. Occasionally I'll go out and I'll go to events. So I think that has helped you. Another thing is, I think a little bit of it is, is luck, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying that in any kind of you know, wrong way, but I just think, but sometimes I think you've got to put yourself in the place to have luck and you've talked to the smart people. You've, you've put yourself in the right places. You've presented, I think you do learn. I think, I think you're both hungry for, um, to see what's out there and to take a risk and take a look at opportunities. So like with the VR thing, mm. for example, you said, look, let's have a look at this. Let's see what might, what might make sense, what might not. And also you were quite good at pivoting away from that quite quickly and not kind of, I don't know, maybe you did bet the house on it, but yeah. being in, in a position where you could pivot away from that and look for other that stuff. Luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, because I've, I've seen lots of talented people like kind of go off and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and fail. In fact, there's something really silly today that I saw on Facebook and it's, and it's quite cheesy. It's about Michael Jordan, yeah. great basketball player. Yeah. And, and I, it's the first time I've actually printed something out and because I want to kind of take it home and have my kids have it on the wall. And he, it says something like, I've missed, you know, 3,000 shots. I've lost 200 and something games. And it's something else that he's done wrong. And he says, that, yeah, I've, I've missed 26 shots where, where that would have been the winning shot for the game. Right. And he said, you know, it's only because of these losses that I've become such a successful person. Yeah. And, and I kind of think that, you know, if you probably added up all the things that you got wrong or you lost or, you know, whatever, actually, because, you know, I've been through some of the tough times with you or, you know, some of the tough negotiations you've had to have or some of the times when you've had a partner who's not been reliable mm. and you... Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, you know, you, you sometimes forget about that. What's, what's it called? Survivalist bias? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's almost like the survivalist bias is against yourself, not other people who see the survivors. Yeah. You kind of, you, you kind of, because you're still breathing, you're thinking, oh, yeah, the air's always been pure up here. And, I'll tell you what, it, yeah. it ter I've never been more afraid. Um, really? I, I, my... I'm starting to get into my stride now, but when we when we got this studio and we yeah. we rose to twenty people, 
I was terrified, mm. genuinely, because you've got to feed the beast. Yeah. And, you know, there aren't many studios around at our size or started, yeah. started when we started. And so, you know, part of this podcast is to just figure out how to stay in business another 10 years. Yeah. You know, I want to talk to smart people who, you know, yeah, have been I, around a bit yeah. and have learned some lessons. I mean, I, I asked... Um I asked you, I remember when I walked into the studio, because it's a beautiful studio, by the way, people in, in Brighton, you should come down because they're very friendly. But I said, it's a beautiful studio. Yeah, it's not in Soho, but it's in quite a nice part of Brighton and Hove. And, and I, the first thing I said was, this is really good. This is you. This, this feels like you. That's um, all Kirsty. Yeah, it is well, well done, Kirsty. <laughs> She's and, done an amazing job. Yeah, she has. And, um, but I said, I was like, what's your burn rate? Because yeah. and that's thing I've been there now because because yeah. I had that one myself of looking at burn rate and you know how to do things and shall we keep him on as an employee a bit longer because if we do that then he'll be able to get a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And um, do you want to just explain burn rate for anyone that's listening that doesn't so know what that means? It just means how much do you need to spend to keep your studio going every month? Yeah. Um, and then that it's a frightening number. <laughs> it's, a, it's a frightening number. And then sometimes when you're talking to publishers or people who are making a game with you they'll distill that down to what's called a man month rate. Yeah. So, you know, if, so if you've got, yeah, so how much does it cost to uh, keep one person working on the game for a month? So you might have five people working on the game for 12 months, if it's like a small kind of game. Um, and then you've got to distill that to a man month rate. And then there's, there's, a, there's figures that get bandied around. Um, and it's really, really important that you, that you keep an eye on that and cash flow and, and all those those boring things and it and it is it is stress and I had that when I started even just me I mean I've been a quite a, a coward I haven't employed anyone that's just I just rely on me Albert Marshall and I quite like that at the moment but and I collaborate. But you did Quistics, right? Yeah, I did Quistics and we had a team and, and that yeah. was that was good. But, and the, but then then I had those other the pressures as well and um, did it change you? Do you think? Did it change you at all? Yeah, it did. It put me under a lot of um, mental. Uh, psychological pressure mm. more than I think I've ever had. Yeah. Um, and uh, it made me respect it. Yeah, yeah, it made me respect a lot of my clients a lot more and it gave me a bit of humility and it made me a bit vulnerable right. because lawyers like being smart asses. Um, and, you know, and I thought, okay, you know, this is, doesn't feel like success. Um, but it was, there was massive highs and lows, massive highs and lows. And I think that you know, I think that there's a big question about mental health in the games industry. And I think a lot of people are talking about it at the moment with a lot of stuff that's going on in the news. And it made me a bit more, um, it made me a bit more, it just, I empathise a little bit, a bit more with my clients and made me ask a question that, so now I'd say, are you okay? No, are you really okay? Yeah. And, you know, who are you talking to? And I think it really helps talking to people in the industry. And I think, and it was very difficult for me, and I'm being very honest here as a lawyer, because as a lawyer, people want to go to you as a safe person. Mm -hmm. And you, a lot of lawyers are kind of like, oh, I know everything, you know. You know, you can go up to some lawyers and say, you know, so how do you build this nuclear, um, kind of this kind of like jet engine? And they'll go, well, you know, I think it'll probably be this. Because you have to be, your role is to know things right. and to always be right. Yeah. Um, but when I became that person kind of running a studio, running a games company, I had to be vulnerable because there were times when it was like, well, yeah, we haven't had that many downloads this month. And actually kind of really wondering how long we can kind of succeed in this kind of, with the burn rate that we have and how to balance it out. I need to get a deal done by the end of this month, now by the end of this week kind of yeah. stuff. And 
you had to be a bit vulnerable. And sometimes I was meeting people in conferences and in my older role, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm the clever kind of lawyer guy. You know, maybe you come to me for advice, but I was actually going, you know what, we're in this, we've got this big challenge. I'm not sure we're gonna get through it. And you know, how did you get through similar challenges? So that's how I did it. I, I kind of like, you know, went to a lot of events and talked to people that I knew in the industry. And sometimes I thought maybe I spent a bit of my I'd built up some kind of capital as a, you know, Albert Marshall was his lawyer at Sony, but now he's just some bum who's trying to make a mobile game. <laughs> and so, but you know what? It made me, the great thing about it, it made one, it, I really enjoyed kind of. When you, you when know, you, sorry, when you talk about that capital, yeah. are you saying that it just ran out immediately as soon as you were asking questions about running a studio? You know it was what? a different role. I think it might be all in my head and these people right. didn't give yeah. <laughs> two poops about it. But, it, you know, a lot of people in advisory roles, your whole kind of capital is built upon you having this very confident demeanor and very good at this narrow thing. Mm. And once you start to show people that actually you advise on games, but, you know, you were involved in that game, that didn't do great. Or, you know, then it's kind of taken away from that whole kind of shininess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, you know, I advised, you know, I worked on Red Dead Redemption. Doesn't mean that I built the, yeah. the, the game, you know. Yeah. So you know, me having a credit doesn't mean that I'm, you know, some people do that. They associate the greatness of other people's work. And we all like doing that. But, um, um, but you know, but I think it made me a better advisor. Right. And I can advise on more commercial things. and. Uh, being able to advise in a very technical level about the, the legals or the contracts also you've got to understand the risks and you've also got to understand the opportunities and you've also got to understand why that that clause about having a kill fee why it matters and and being able to anticipate things as well so i think that really that really matters and actually some of the best people that i've negotiated with aren't lawyers they're just people who really understand their business deeply yeah um you know, and so I think that that it helped in in that way, making me kind of a bit more aware of the business side. And because this industry changes so quickly, yeah. I think that my instincts in 2009 that I needed to go from being with a console kind of platform to a publisher, and then my instincts in 2012, I said, no, actually, you need to be able to advise any company that you want that's technology or creative and be able to look at opportunities and jump in them and gain experience. I think that's really helped me because otherwise I'd still be the same guy advising on kind of console uh, platform kind of uh, issues exclusively, yeah. you know, years ago. So I think everyone, we all need to be kind of keep up to date, keep flexible. It's the, it's the writing on the wall, seeing, yeah. seeing that. I think, yeah, part of the reason we've lasted this long is for some reason, my mind is always in the future. Mm. I get bored in the present yep. often. And so writing on the wall is really clear to me. And so that certainly happened with Flash. You know, Flash was yeah. great. Flash was everywhere. Yep. And then Steve Jobs said, we're not, we're not going to support Flash ever. Did you ever go to Flash on the beach? Yes. Yeah. yeah that was a great conference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are really, those were golden days. Because, mm. you, you know, I came straight out of university taught myself a little bit of flash programming and could mm. charge 500 pound a day. Yeah. You know, it was nuts. Great. Um, that doesn't exist anymore, mm. unfortunately. Um, but yeah, as soon as Steve Jobs said, you know, we're not, we're never going to support flash, get over it. Yeah. You know, you can need to move on. 
that was it. We had to switch. Unfortunately, PlayStation had brought their, you know, their sort of um, the walls down. Yeah. Uh, ex- uh, what's the word? Um, uh, I forgot the word now. I what just, they just said, development publishing. Yeah, it's the democratization with Unity and bringing the barriers to entry. That yeah. was the phrase I'm looking for. Um, yeah, we could get onto PlayStation Minis. Yeah. You know, it was very, very lucky. Uh, so, yeah, seeing the writing on the wall and being able to pivot quickly, I think, is a key skill. Yeah. But I, and you were talking about, you know, the pressure that you got put under. Do you feel like you've always been a resilient person or did you have to build that resilience being a business owner? I think... Like, is it ch- chicken or the egg? I think res- resilience is definitely built because I remember... Um, the first couple of months of setting up my own business as a consultancy even. And um, I had an initial thing where the work kind of got, I had it even before I'd even left my old role. And, um, and that's fine. And then I had a couple of months, and I remember it because it was summer, and I think there was some sporting event, like Olympics or something, 2012, yeah. And for some reason that month, I think it was July, I had no work, I had very little work. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just gonna wear my tracky box- bottoms and just, watch sports and chill out with, I think, did I have a, yeah, I had a, it was 2012. So yeah, I had two small kids then. So yeah, and I just chilled out with them. And, but there were some times in that month when I couldn't sleep and I've never had problems with my sleep ever in my life Mm. because I was thinking, shit, yeah, am I gonna be able to pay everything this month in terms of the bills? And then after a while, you just get used to the highs and the lows or yeah. in terms of income. And then you get used to Future Lab saying, oh, but yeah, there's something that we really need but for tomorrow. And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> and then the, you know, the people that you, know, you start off with, they, they come back and they come back and go, well, yeah, Future Lab will come back to me every couple of whatever months. And my other guys will come back and then these people will come in. And then you, you kind of build that in and you, you kind of, you kind of work out that actually, as you go on and as you get more referrals and you have more confidence that people will come to you because people just say, developers talk to each other Mm. and people that, and companies that I work for talk to each other. And so the work comes in. So the resilience is a a, a lot of things. I had a little bit of savings and so there's just, just the kind of, it's the money there kind of resilience. It's a being the street wise in terms of how you spend your money. Um, it's being kind of really single-minded right. in terms of working out what you're going to do, how you're going to do, how you're going to sell yourself, what you're going to go for. So what I did when I set up Marshall Media is that I said to my missus, I said, look, I need four days. I went to Valencia. I went to a resort called Gandia in Spain. Nice. Um, I went four days. I went by myself. Right. I had a, a piece of paper and a, and a pen. And I sat down and wrote kind of like, not yeah, business plan more or less. Right. What I was gonna do, how I was gonna do it, who was I gonna target? What could I do or what couldn't I do? What would I just say no to? And, and that this was give, back in 2012. Yeah, and that yeah. was giving me more time to focus. What I, what, you know, and, and I think it's really important. One of the big things also is the last 12 months, I said no to more things and said yes to things. But that's allowed me to focus and do things which I'm more comfortable in. So, you know, yes, as a lawyer, I was taught, especially as a barrister, the whole that you're supposed to be able to turn your hand to everything. 
But what I've realised is just, you know, do what you're good at. Be like David Beckham. Yeah. Keep those crosses coming in. Triple down on what you're good <laughs> yeah. at. Yeah. So mm. just, no, don't do that. If you want to, I will send loads of work to big law firms. They can do disputes. They can do big corporate matters. They can do, you know, stuff like that. And, and I, so I, I've developed it into a tagline. You know, I will do for you what I do at the, you know, at the best, best price for you to the best of my ability. Um, and you know, the things that I can do for you, which I think I'm the best person. And if I can't do that, I will find you the best alternative at the best price. Um, and you know, I'll manage that for you as well, if, if needed. And I think people have got confidence. We're like, oh my God, this guy's not just trying to grab as much money from me. Yeah. Away. He's just really confident. Like, no, actually go to these guys. But if you want to come back to me for X, that integrity, integrity is really important. Mm -hmm. It might cost you a bit of money. And sometimes it's really hard when you see a couple of thousand pounds staring you in the eyes to get you through that month. Um, and But you just hand it over to someone else. But that integrity is going to be pay really dividends. important, pay dividends. Yeah. And I think you guys have got uh, integrity. And it, it sounds kind of a thing that somebody says when they're, they've made it and they're okay, but it, it actually really does work. So the thing yeah. I've been interested in building is is creative capital. Right. And you can, I'm more, much more interested in creative capital than I am financial capital because, you know, you can spend money, mm. but creative capital just builds and builds and builds and builds. Yeah. Like Stephen Fry is my example. You know, that man can do whatever he wants yeah. because he's built so much creative capital. He can pick a project and people will go, yep, yeah, let's do that. I want to be that company, mm. you know, but that means you can't put a foot wrong because you can lose that creative capital if you sell out just a tiny bit. Mm. Um, Do you think that's right? I was well, it certainly feels, maybe it's, maybe I was about it's to say Nicholas just Cage. in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For acting sense, but yeah, I mean. Well, I mean, there's this phrase, you're only, you're only as good as your last game, right? Do you feel that really applies? I think, well, maybe not, maybe okay. it's in my head. Okay, let's do a game of naming no, we can't do that because then you're, you're shitting on people. No, we can. We can, we can do it by future lab games. <laughs> yeah, but let's do, do a game of a company who they've had a good game, then they've had a bad game. That almost killed them, then they've had a good game. True. There's lots of companies like that. <laughs> yeah, there's probably loads yeah. of companies like that. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you, so, I, so before you were saying that you're only as good as your last game and I think that's a I think it's good to, to put yourself under some creative pressure but I also think that a lot of people say that you shouldn't be like that too much so you shouldn't be afraid to fail yeah. um, and as long as you've got the kind of creative integrity um, and I see it people with, like you I see it with my like, my sister who's doing documentaries and I just remember her for the documentary that she did was about um, um, deaf cults Wow. A difficult wow. in in in, um, in California, and I remember when she told me that she was going to go and spend some time with this difficult in California, and I was like, "Well, that's not very commercial." You were working on Love Actually before then, and that was quite a good film. And now you're going to do this difficult stuff in California. I mean, is it safe? What about the wacko thing? But it all you know it all worked out for her, and she's got an integrity to what she does and single-mindedness, like you guys are. And so th those are the things that I find in common. So I, I do it on my kind of anecdotal, kind of statistical kind of thing that, yes, you can be flexible, but the people that I've worked with that a bit too much, just trying to chase the dollar, basically, don't really last. And the people have got s some kind of real kind of articulated vision about what they're doing. 
I think that's really kind of important. Um, and it's paying dividends. I mean, the thing that I'm excited about in terms of content is that, and it's not to do with games, but in the film industry, there's this amazing energy and resource that has been started because of all the streaming stuff. Right. So, you know, a lot of my friends who are on their arse were just about to go off of, you know, from actors to writers to film directors to producers, this money and energy, commissioning energy that's going into Golden streaming days. is like, it's the best time. Every time I meet anyone in the industry, I just said, look, have a coffee, don't go to sleep. These are, the, <laughs> these are your days. I don't know how long they're gonna last. And I think the games industry, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, there's a bit of energy. Um, and I, I don't know how widespread it is, but there is at certain levels, especially with some of my clients, there are a lot of people that are being asked to do deals left, right and centre. People want to invest in games companies, not all huge ones as well. And the great thing is that you think those big deals have got nothing to do with you, but you've got to remember that those, you know, the 10 cents are buying the, the mini clips yep. who are investing in other companies, who are investing in other companies. And even, and it can be at any level, because even if it means that somebody had a mid-ranging company and they got paid off, you know, and they're just one person. That person's a bit like, you know what? I know loads of people that I used to hang around with in pubs and, you know, I'm gonna invest in free, I'm gonna invest in free um, projects and give 20 grand each, just so that somebody can put their idea into into something which they can then pitch. And and, that, and that's that's valuable. And there are people walking, there are loads of people walking around in the games industry. So yeah, I think this is, this is our, this is my problem in particular, but our problem as a studio is that I don't do any networking really. Mm. You know, we go to GDC once a year yeah. and we know the people we know. And I'm just not that sort of yeah. gregarious extrovert type. Um, so that, I think that's a problem. But what I'm good at is recognizing someone who I think will value working with us and then reaching out to them with a really concise email. Mm. And quite often they'll just go, okay, this sounds good. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, and to get the high value people, that sounds terrible, but people that are busy, that's the kind of approach that they'll respond to. Um, I do a bit of both. I do a bit of both yeah. and I do the kind of gregarious thing because I'm good at it. <laughs> and, and so, and I enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, and that's different, but I think both things are valid. I think there's, there is a kind of, um, maybe a medium meeting point where you, you know, there are people who are trying to set up platforms whereby, you know, people can, you know, can meet people at that level who are busy, but are in an industry. And there are events around that. There are, you know, there are people trying to do things like Tony Pierce does a Centurion and stuff. Some people like it, some people, that's not their thing. Not having uh, that. It's a, it's a monthly thing in London, the Centurion's Club. Right. Century Club, where he, he does a kind of networking thing. It's, you know, it's a mixture of old games people and some other industries as well. Um, you need to get up there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean there's, a, there's a massive, as I always say, I was talking to some other people, I was saying that there's a massive, you know, kind of like, kind of hub now in, in Brighton yeah. of, of, games, of games companies. Um, but yeah. I find, yeah. Do you know what? Every, every time we go to meet people that have got a bit of cash, mm. you know, investors. Yeah. For some reason, we can't sell this idea that we're just making cool shit because it's really hard. I mean, that's all we really care about. Mm. And so, you know, we've had quite a few mentors over the years yeah. and it's always about the money. It's always about you need to do this, this and this so you can get the money. And then you can do whatever you want. 
yet, but I, I've just got this feeling, and it's just driven us, it's mm. steered us this far, that, you know, if we'd done free-to-play mobile when it, when it was the, the right time to do it, yeah. you know, 2010 or whatever it yeah. was, we would have made a shitload of money, mm. and then we would have continued making shitloads of money, and we'd, we'd have made decisions based on how we're going to increase our revenue each year. Because then you owe great. people, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I don't want to... I don't want that sort of life. I want to, I want to be led by the creative heart, you know. Yeah. And and that's why I b- believe in building creative capital because I think that's the way to actually um, survive long term and do the projects that excite you. Yeah. And you you have staff retention because all of the people work here they get to work on projects they believe in. You know, it's quality work, meaningful work. Yeah. Um, I think there's not yeah. a platform for that. I think you're right. I, I don't think there is a platform for that type of investment. I think because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, I don't know. Because it's head driven, right? Okay, let, yeah. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you another story. My sister, who I love and I mention all the time, uh, she called me up and it was about three o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous, uh, UK time, because she had gone out to California to make a deaf cult movie. And she talked to some, she was talking to some guy in a bar and and he loved her idea and he wanted to just help her along a bit cause, and she needed a little bit of money to tie up a bit of filming costs while she was out there. She'd got some funding. And um, so he wanted to put in about $5,000, mm-hmm. but like there and then more or less. Right. And, uh, and she said, he was like, yeah, I don't know. I just want some bit of paper or something. Have you got a lawyer just to even just tie things over? And so in the end, I managed to draft something by text message that basically said, yeah, Sheila's working on this thing and you're going to give 5K and you're going to commit to it, but and we're going to do a one-pager tomorrow when Albert's forgiven his sister for waking him up at three o'clock in the morning. And, um, and that did happen. And so she did get the funding. And this is a difference, so a couple of differences. Film industry's been going for a long time. Right. Right. People have... They've seen their grannies and the uncles and friends. Yeah, I invested in this film called Star Wars and no one believed in it. And then, so a lot of that has happened. And there is a, a story of winners that doesn't seem controversial. And the way that I say it is this, is that in the 90s, let me get this right, in the 80s or 90s, in the 80s, um, a lot of utilities in the UK were freed up. So my parents bought British gas shares and made 100 quid great at the same time when I go to GDC sometimes I go to bars and you know you're talking to people it might be apocryphal tales but there's always another guy like yeah you know back in the 80s or 90s my brother was a security guard and there was a company called Dell and you know everybody was in together and they got some shares and you know you know that's that pays for like everything in fact he invests in other you know tech companies after that so there are people that have made big money reliably uh, from tech and entertainment in the US and in industry-wise, say film, because there's a real disparity, I think, because I, I work with these people. And the difference is that when I work with somebody who's kind of doing a documentary or doing a narrative thing in, in film, they're able to be very single-minded, but still find a market for their film that might not seem that commercial yeah. um, and get funding for it. One, because people believe in it and there's, there's more people 
So there, there are more loveys, say, in London, who will do a bit of kind of film investment. Right. Um, and it'll just it's not a, there in games, you think? Yeah. Not in, <clears> the, <throat> not in the same way. And it's not as big. And um, we've been a bit slow. So they, the whole thing's about tax relief. And yeah. you know, that was a film model, really. Yeah. And that's so set up and people... And it, was, it got abused a bit by the film industry, to be fair, where, you know, where people knew it was going to be lost making and still making profit, etc. Um, and I, I feel that games is kind of catching up and I think people are looking at the games industry a bit and if you look at the IPOs and you look at Team 17 which is amazing by the way because they're they're investing in and they're trying to keep the investment in UK studios um, you know I, I, th I think that we're nearly there but I don't think we're, we're there yet and that, that is purely anecdotal but just like my clients people that I work with mm -hmm. it just seems to be a different path on people, you know, especially we're talking about indie developers, indie filmmakers, they, they can go off and they can sell their international rights and they can go off and they can sell, you know, they, they can sell uh, for streaming they can, and they can chop these up in different ways and monetize them in different ways. And I think explaining that games might have that same pathway. So you're going to say, actually, I'm going to sell you the console rights or PC or international not the same thing, but maybe streaming might end up being something like that where you, you don't have to give all your rights. So maybe you can do a deal with a console maker, but you can reserve the streaming rights. And I always say to people, just in case, reserve the merchandise rights, because yeah. you never know. You yeah. might have something which just takes off. Somebody in Japan does a crazy T-shirt with one of your characters on it, and it just goes, ape. Just reserve those rights. And remember that all the things that we're talking about now, back in the day in early noughties, used to be called ancillary rights. Anything online or to do with merchandise, they just said, yeah, all this stuff that's not the plastic that we're putting in warehouses, let's just call that Insulary Rights and let Albert play with it. And but now that, that's, that's the games business now, all that, that, that stuff. So, you know, just, uh, you know, I think that, I think the games, I think at the level that we're talking about um, and in the, the kind of psychological level also, whereas people want to be focused on creating the art and having a, a kind of like a critical mass of people who understand that and want to support it, but also see a, a reasonable way of recovering that and maybe having some upside. I think that needs to be worked on. I don't think we're there yet in yeah. the way that I see, um, on an anecdotal basis, I see in other industries. So let's let's see what happens. It does feel like it's a golden age for TV and film mm. with Netflix. Yeah. Because they need content. And yeah. they've got, you know, how many hundreds of millions of subscribers. Yeah. And, and it's, it seems less important to need to have products that are mass market because you've got all these niches that yeah. you need to serve. And I think bring on streaming, yeah. bring on game streaming. Yeah. I think people that are sort of looking at Stadia and going, well, yeah. I don't believe in that. It, yeah. it seems inevitable. I really want it to work because you never know what's going to work. So a great example is Netflix. When they went out, people said, yeah, of course, you know, Stranger Things worked. And yeah, of course this worked. But guess what? They started investing in documentaries and people love those documentaries. So now there's like a great market in funding documentaries. So 
I, and I, I can't wait for the same thing to happen in games where you've got these indie games and then maybe streaming does take off and maybe there's it increases the market because guess what I've got a shitty phone yep. in somewhere but I can play this game and have access to it and you know have it fed to me in a, in a platform that's really good at marketing to me as well and feeding to what I, my needs are and so yeah and but what I said I think it can change very quickly in the same way that the whole streaming seems to be very quick and now you've got well it crept and crept and crept yeah it crept a bit and, and then, then boom, boom suddenly yeah. you've got Stranger Things yeah, yeah. so yeah. I'm just hoping and I think that the same thing will happen and the, the thing is to be positioned have, have you tried way. Stadia? Um, no I no. haven't tried it and that's a bit slow of me though I did try it on live right. <laughs> years ago yeah. like uh, when, when Bruce Grove was like this major salesperson for it and he was pitching to all the studios and stuff and, um, and I looked at it and thought they've got so many great things here, which everyone is doing now. And they thought about it in 2010 or whatever. Um, so for me, if it, when it works, it will just be a no brainer. And like, I can't wait for it to work. And I'm so used to the whole subscription thing yeah. now. And well, it's, it's getting slightly annoying though, isn't it? Cause now you've got yeah. BritBox and then you've got Disney plus yeah. and you've got whoever else is going to come out. You're going to need a TV just to scan through. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like, you're going through the channels, which are all the subscriptions you've got, but you're paying for every single yeah. one of them individually. And they're all going to have that killer thing that you want. I know. Like mine at the moment is Sea of Thieves, but right. I haven't got Xbox, so I'm kind of like... I'm holding out on Disney. I'm tempted, but... <laughs> what, what's the, um, the one that's... I can guess, but what's on it? Uh, well, Mandalorian I'm yeah, interested Mandalorian. in. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the important thing that they're doing it, it's kind of working you know some people saying yeah but maybe because the whole netflix bbc debate that it's they're doing it on a loss making basis at the moment and so what happens in the long run with that but i think the the major thing is loss making or not or not they've identified a market so it's just and people aren't going to stop wanting to stream stuff whatever you know so it's just finding the the, the pain point finding the, the point where people it's a shame it's still lost you know loss leading uh, after, yeah after uh, these years yeah yeah, I mean, that's my understanding. And I know there's a lot of investment, but you know, they're generating a huge amount of revenue now. So so maybe they'll get to that right. stage. Maybe it'll be like Facebook. Facebook makes money. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, so what's next for you? So what's next for me? So it's quite funny because um, I saw one of you, yeah. I try to habitually kind of take some time out and say, right, what do I want to do in the next five, 10 years? And I haven't done that because other things have happened. I've had a baby daughter last six Congrats. months. Thank you, Erin. <laughs> and um, so I, I need to do that as well. I mean, at the moment, I really love working uh, with my clients. I want my clients to grow and me to grow with them. Um, because of all the stuff that's happening with streaming, I'm kind of doing a little bit more uh, work with some kind of film TV type uh, production companies and that's really interesting I've always had that because I've got my sister and stuff and um, so I'm going to try and grow that one thing that I really wanted to do is that I wanted to see what role that I could do in bringing some of these different um, kind of industries together so I've got an idea in my head about things so I've got quite a few friends who work in the music industry who know all about it and I'd like to see what I did a few years ago which is help do this kind of tech track for this music industry thing so I'd love to 
I'd love to kind of get involved in that track, game. Track, sorry. So, you know, just get a few speakers who okay, right, right. from the games industry yeah, yeah. To, to, to speak at this music um, kind of conference and, and uh, uh, festival. So I want to explore that a bit. I still got a bit of an itch about, I quite liked being involved with Games Company and I needed some space away from that after I got burnt out <laughs> trying to do everything, um, you know, down to actually kind of like, you know, doing, I call it art direction because I was saying, yeah, we should have this character and that character and that character um, as characters which you have filling seats in this quiz game. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to put art direction on my CV. Um, so, so doing everything, but now I feel that I kind of feel that I learned stuff and I want to kind of, I want to play with it a bit. So Future Direction is th thinking about kind of being involved in that kind of project, not getting in, being silly and trying to be kind of head of marketing and all that stuff, but getting involved a little bit uh, there or maybe in a role with, w deeper role with one or two of my clients. I've been asked to be involved with one or two of my clients a bit deeper. So I'll look at that, that's one thing. Um, just keep on my focus on what I'm doing and um, at the moment, because I still love that. Um, and um, just balancing qualities for the time with my family. Mm. Um, health, I've realised health is really important as I'm getting older, so I'm trying to do regular exercise. Um, what are you doing? So, because the weather's been so shitty, um, I've just been doing regular stuff in the gym. And the thing about anyone's got kids now, they realise that you all watch YouTube and there's all these influencers that are into health and fitness and stuff. So there's this whole thing about loads of kids are into boxing at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. loads of kids are really into boxing. And I've got a 12-year-old and he's really into boxing. At first I was like, oh, no, you know, and, um, and uh, but he loves it. And, uh, and he, I've got him a membership of my gym as well, so we go to the gym together. And I remember going to gym once with him and his younger brother, who's eight, and they're quite cute together. They're kind of like, kind of spotting each other and stuff like that. And some woman came over and said, oh, you know, you should put them on Instagram, they're so good. Mm. I said, I'm not putting my kids on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so, so gym's important just because I, it's easy. I can go around the corner, whatever, whether I can do my little routine, bit of cardio, TK on the rolling machine, bit of weights, um, and then do his rowing machine, bit more weights, uh, cross trainer, rubber warm down, bit of a swim oh, and nice. yeah so there's that I'm I'm aiming to do and I'm going to put it out there I'm aiming so I do TK as a marathon yeah no 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 <laughs> see mine's not sure so I do TK quite easily maybe 3k as a warm-up right. so my other thing is that I'm going to do one or two 5k runs just to get me and because I'm quite heavily built it's all concrete so I'm gonna I'm gonna the 5k is my thing and that's going to be a big achievement for me um so I want to I want to hit that um we've got tennis courts around the corner Oh, and in the summer when it's good, I'm going to try and get into tennis. And I think, I don't think I mentioned, but I, I went out and I worked remotely from the south of France for about a year and a bit, uh, came back in July. And I, they had a swimming pool, they had a communal flats, communal pool for the flats that I was in. And we were 10 minutes from the beach. So I think I became, I'm still a crappy swimmer, but I'm a lot better crappy swimmer. And I think it's a really good way of doing exercise and concentrating on your breathing and focusing. And even if so, you, and you, you're not even if you've got a slight niggle, you then you don't have to stop doing any exercise. You can kind of still swim and stuff. So I want to improve my swimming. So those are my that's my goals. And to get dreams, uh, <laughs> my advert for Media Molecule, and um, and to start creating on that. Yeah, yeah. Dreams is amazing. 
Mm, yeah. um, we had a sort of private demo oh. about this time last year. It might have been two years ago now. Um, yeah, it was about four hours. We didn't get to hold the controller right. in four hours because okay. they were just w walking us through the, you know, the um, the features, and we were just we were just mind blown. Right. You know, it shook shook us at how innovative and smart it was. I just thought this is the kind of thing that Adobe should be making. Right. You know, yeah. it's the equivalent of Photoshop for video games. Right. Um, so I really hope it does. That's really well. good. No one's explained it like that. Maybe they have, but um, no one's explained it like that. I get it now straight away. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I thought I came away from their office thinking, there's Elon Musk and mm. there's Media Molecule, and those are the two two people that are doing important things on the planet. Right. You know, he sold it. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm <laughs> gonna get it on the way back home. I think you sold it completely. Marketing's your strong point. Forget games. <laughs> Those are just my honest thoughts. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, yeah, they'd love to hear that. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no, they're, you know, that's, that's something that I'm really interested, and that's what I love about the games industry. There's always something that comes in that goes, yeah, that's that's really important. That's, that's it's so really important. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You, when it was in early access, you could just see the quality of the ideas that were coming out. And right. I, when we when we met them, they they said, um, what it what what this tool does. So they gave the example of you walk along the beachfront and you've got um, an artist that does uh, sort of caricatures. Yes. And then you've got um, a 3D graphics CGI expert who works on Spider-Man movies, whatever. Mm. They both have this artistic ability and the only thing that really separates them is their technical ability and the tools they use. Mm. And what Dreams does is it squashes that, brings people closer together. So if you've got a creative idea, mm. the tool's there for you to use. Um, is what comes out is people's taste mm. and their preferences. Yeah. And, uh, and you just see it. You, you, know, you trawl through the dreams and there's just tons of really interesting stuff because the tool's so easy to use. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just so important. And um, yeah, I hope they do well. Uh, yeah. But I don't know, I, I've got no idea how they could possibly top it. You know, I half expected them to go, right, we've been nine years on this. Is our closing the studio because we can't top it. We're going to go do other things. <laughs> but good. that doesn't sound like them. Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, Rockstar produced Grand Theft Auto about 20 years ago now, I don't know. But, um, yeah. but they, yeah, they've, they've kept on going. I suppose they'll just build bigger and... I expect they're, they're going to be supporting it for a long time, yeah. building new stuff. Yeah. yeah. And maybe some collaborations with some interesting people. Yeah. Look yeah. forward to that. So I think we're how are we doing for time? It must be loads. It's twenty past eight. Been in that at this an hour and a half. Yeah. Any other questions? Anything you want to talk about? You want to shout out Marshall Media? Do you need any more clients? Uh, yeah. Anybody's doing interesting work, uh, working with interesting people, uh, have a chat with me, um, Albert at MarshallMedia.biz, uh, or you'll probably see me at Resd or some other uh, games uh, conference. I'm going to be at GDC, notwithstanding various viruses and stuff. And it's quite funny because. Somebody on Twitter said, oh, um, GDC might not happen. And I said, shut up, you want it to happen. And then I talked to my ex-business partner, um, who's actually quite amazing. And he just said, he turned it around completely and said, actually, it'd be quite cool if it doesn't happen because then 
loads of people will just go there anyway and just, and it will become all about the kind of mm. the side stuff and we'll just like have all these creative meetings and kind of stuff just happening and I was like yeah that's really yeah. good yeah you know that's 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 what you know and for me that's what games industry is about it's about people just kind of building good stuff even when it's not obvious that you can build good stuff so um so I'm going to be at GDC so have you ever been to a game jam Yes, I've done... So Sony went through this amazing period of time. This is kind of like a game jam. So the ones that we've actually kind of helped to build stuff, when they had something called iToy. Oh, yeah. And they had this great thing where they just brought people in even the depths of the legal department and from the accountancy department and operations and all the other people who do amazing stuff. And this is another shout-out. Those people are important as well. And there are loads of them who've helped make loads of great games happen who I never see at games events who I ne and who just go to the do their 9 to 5 or whatever or a lot more than 9 to 5 actually getting these games out really QA really making sure these games happen that aren't figures in the games industry should be completely um, and anyway so I was asked with a bunch of these guys to just kind of jam our way through some ideas for the iToy which was just um it was a gesture, a gesture gaming, whereby you wave your hand in front of the camera and you can interact with uh, what's happening inside a digital environment. Um, and so the things like cleaning windows and things like that. And just, they just went for a whole load of really creative exercises. So they would say, remember three things that you enjoyed doing when you were a junior school. Mm. And then, you know, talk for five minutes about two of them with the person next to you. And then, okay, between you decide to work on the game idea and one of those things. You know, and that was it. And cool. it was great. And it's really interesting because they did this for like four hours and we were exhausted by the end of it. And we you know what that taught me? It taught me that the creative process is a disciplined process. And also it's an exhausting process. And a lot of people think that being creative is just, you know, you know throw shit together. Yeah, throw shit together and be cool and have a few beers while you do it. But actually, it's exhausting being creative. It's exhausting. And the last time I had that. Do you was, know, I, I yeah. find contracts exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> my creativity is yeah. easy. Well, I built my resilience for contracts. <laughs> I built my resilience. Yeah, you know, creativity is it's exhausting. Even the stupid things like when I was in a, doing a quiz game and we ran out of, well, we, we, ended up, because of our budget, having to write a lot of the quiz games, quiz questions ourselves. And I wrote a hundred questions about, about you know, animal um, wildlife. And, you know, I didn't know that much, but we, we had a library and we had all the facts and figures and stuff and making them entertaining and stuff like that. And it was exhausting. Mm. It really was. And took a lot of deep thought. And, um, you know, that's just a very minor thing. But, um, you know, I... I kind of what was, what was the question well the, the reason I asked the question have you ever been to a game jam is because I think I would imagine companies are formed at game jams yeah you know maybe not there and then but a few people meet programmer artist designer mm. audio guy or gal and um, and they have a you know spark happens mm. and two years later they've got a company but they've got no business acumen and yeah. so it might not go anywhere. And I don't know, I wonder if it'd be interesting for you to go to a game jam. Yeah, I should, I should make time. There's been times I've been invited and I've just been so, uh, so busy. Um, but yeah, I will, you know what? Because you know, you know what, when, when, you yeah. get, when, when 
at, at the end of the two days or whatever, when everyone shows their game, it's really clear who the winners are. Yeah. You know, because the, the team gels, the game's great. They've only had 48 hours to make it, but they've achieved something. Okay. And they go away and the, and, and the vibe of that group of people is tangible. Yeah. You could spot that probably quite early. Yeah. Yep, Here's yep. a card. Give me a call in two years. Yeah, no, no. I should, I should um, just show up on the Sunday. Yeah, after yeah. The whole hard work. That's been a good done. Thing. I think you know. I will challenge myself. I have been a bit lazy though, and part of it is this: is that I have very um, successfully worked with the people that I want to work with, and I keep working with amazing people because a lot of them are mates of yours. And and um, We've, I can't believe it's taken us this many years to introduce you to Roll Seven. I was really surprised yeah. that, that we hadn't talked about you before. Yeah, no, we get on crazily. They're amazing guys. Yeah, they are, they are. But it's the same energy. It's, it's, yeah. it's a good energy, and there are lots of uh, people, um, people like that. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's just a privilege. It's really nice. It's really nice to be able to choose people that you work with. Um, and, yeah, so thank you. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, you know, and I... I Hopefully, I introduce them to other people as well. I'm still looking for good accountants for the games industry. There's a few yeah. good ones. Plus. But, uh, but, um, Plus is great. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. In Brighton. Okay. Yeah, because we use some people in Brighton. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, yeah, it's all about that kind of network of people helping each other and knowing, you know, and, like, insurance is another thing that it always comes up as you grow as a studio. There's always a time when you work with a publisher or a partner and they've got that clause about you having to have some insurance and it looks very scary but it's manageable and it, you know if you're going to do a little bit of work for hire or even not just work for hire but anyone's going to spend any money back in one of your projects at some point you're going to have to dip your toe in the insurance yeah. waters and it's scary yeah but you can you can you can do it and uh, there are people that are specialized in that and i i could even quote you what i think it's going to cost kind of thing because i've done it a few times so um so yeah it's all it's all about helping each other so the game jam thing yep i'll mm. take that into uh, consideration bit of advice there yeah Sweeped in. no good good yeah but <laughs> as you said do i listen to advice yes but i actually need i'm, I'm open to advice so anybody's listening to this and wants to give me advice apart from you know stop doing what you're doing because you're rubbish at it um very very open to it because i actually find it i actually find it hard i kind of find that the people that are successful that i want to give me advice are quite content and don't go around kind of like giving an advice because they're a bit like, well, if you're intelligent and you want my advice, you'll find a way of getting to me. Mm. Um, so I, I wish I could just walk into bars and have all these amazing people advise me, but it's quite, it's, I find it quite hard to find those people. Um, I, to the extent that I've given up on men, me being mentored. Um, really? Yeah, but I maybe I'll look at it again. But I think it's me having to. Sp I can't just say, "Can you mentor me?" Because I'm such a weird person, like you know, a lawyer who's made games and also advises on games and is in a band. And you know, I'm a mess. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but um, so if anyone's listening to this and thinks that they can provide value or mentor me or even have a coffee, I'm open <laughs> to conversations because I always feel that you can. You can you can learn from all sorts. I'm, my mum told me something the other day; it was mind blowing. So you know you can learn from anyone. So, so indeed, good. yeah. So um, do you want to see Peaky Blinders? Yeah, yeah. Should, should we wrap it. this up then? Yeah, please. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank it's been you. Amazing. Yeah, Cheers. enjoyable. Thank you very much. Thank you.